DMs. Have you ever felt like banishing a player to the Astral Sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus? Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Dwarves, tired of being racially profiled because the authorities assume you're drunk even though you're actually drunk? Then this is the podcast for you. Where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the role of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is Raw and Order. Dun, dun. Alright, well hello everyone. Welcome. Happy Monday. Welcome to, is this week three of an administration that is not morally bankrupt, um, actually believes in science. Um, we're not going to get political on this show, but we can we can get real for a second and just say. I mean, have you stopped flinching when you wake up in the morning <laughs> and you see a headline that starts with president, blah, 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 blah. Like, does do the insides still like kind of go ice cold for a second a little, before we realize right. it's a different guy? You know, a little bit. Um <laughs> Uh, well, they, they, I still flinch because I, there's someone who's suspended above my bed who there's a knife. He hangs a knife above my head every morning. And you have um, the sword of Damocles hanging I, above your head. I do. And Mr. Damocles himself holds it. Ooh. And <laughs> I don't know what Damocles means. Is it a person or a place or thing? It's a person. Yeah. It's a noun. Um, yeah. He holds it above my bed. So I still flinch, but then I'm like, oh God, it's not Trump. Uh, <laughs> You'd rather have the sword of Damocles hanging above your head than, than form- Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially because didn't... Oh, I know nothing about the sword. Did, did it ever fall? I forget. I don't know. I, I don't I don't remember yeah. the end of that Greek myth. Me neither. It probably TBH. did. I'd rather be impaled with a, a, a knife or a dagger or a sword than to be in the same room as Donald Trump. There you go. I once used the sword of Damocles in a Supreme Court argument, and I was really proud of myself. That look at you! I know. I love so that. proud. Um, okay, well, so uh, this weekend, Anna, I started campaign three of four. And it's still there's still the fourth <laughs> campaign that that's right um, has not yet started. We have some uh, uh, that one is you know little going on a little slower timeline because I don't want to stress out the new players we have, but, um, uh, because you have some like brand spanking. Yes. Two of my friends, two, two, two of my fellow gays. Um, that's going to be a really gay campaign. Four of us are homosexuals as I like to call us. I am, I am in it to win it. So bring it on. Yeah. And then that the, didn't make any sense with what you said, but I don't know how to respond to that statement. So. <laughs> um, and then one straight guy, poor thing. Um, so, uh, and Anna. So, yeah. uh, you're the straight guy in case you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I assumed you meant. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I wanted to try, you know, this new sort of approach to DMing. Um, and once again, I feel like we I've yet to have an episode of this show where we haven't mentioned Brennan Lee Mulligan, but that is how much I look up to this man because he's fabulous. Um, but his approach to DMing, especially introducing new characters to a campaign is super unique. And basically what he does is he 
he introduces the world and the environment and then one-on-one -on -one does solo rping with each player to, to to set up an element of like the story overall and the environment that they're in um so if you if you've ever watched any of the, the dimension 20 campaigns um which if not i highly recommend it um but uh, that's what he does for all of them. And it's just a really great way, especially with a with a short term campaign. You know, you're not there to like look in behind every corner, open every box, find every piece of mm -hmm. loot. It's kind of like you have to have some ham holding and hand hold. <laughs> it's a ham holding. Ham holding. You have to, you have to ha hold Those, on to there your There go ham. my Saturday plans. <laughs> holding tight onto listen, hams. Listen, you just got to <laughs> secure yourself to that ham. Okay. Especially in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Ew, in Iowa, they have something called ham balls. What the hell are ham balls? I don't know. I assume Joni Ernst has removed them from a pig at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Was so, it Joni that wore the bags on her face? Yes. Yep. Yeah. She wore bags yeah. while she... She, while she sounds she... like a lady that would, that would be all up in ham balls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I tried this approach um, and uh, our friend Heather... Um, uh, she had asked me to DM a game for her and some of her college friends, uh, two of whom were like really new to D&D, maybe had played once or watched it once, but otherwise uh, don't know anything about it. And um, I decided, well, I'm going to use this approach. Um, and it's the same approach I'm going to use in the Hogwarts game now that it went so well. But um, so they have a pirate campaign uh, because they went to a college who's, uh, mascot were the pirates and they all said I, I was like you guys pick a theme you tell me what you want to do and I'll do it um, that was so cute yeah it was fun I, I can't and, even stand that <laughs> and and so they picked a pirate theme and I said okay so I created this like little world and and the city you know this port city that they start in and each character had um, this little one-on-one -on -one role play moment um, with me for you know a few minutes going through um, and the, the full thing between all five of them lasted an hour and a half and it was perfect um, in terms of timing and uh, the whole point was they were all going to like meet at this tavern um, by the end of the session and so each of them got a letter from uh, like like a letter was passed to them or they found a note that was left for them somewhere from this member of their old crew who was like I found a lead on a ship. That's like the setup is they have to find a ship. Um, so, uh, so they all um, um, did it. And, and I, I, me being me, anyone who knows me knows that like, I love music during my, my <laughs> games. It's amazing. I, it's so good. I I'm love it. the scene yeah. and you get immersed and it's fantastic. So I created like all this new, um, like mix and matched um, mm -hmm. piratey music. And, and whenever they got the note, I started playing one of the really exciting songs from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> and so like every time they opened the note to read it, I would play it and it was like, Ooh, excitement. <laughs> um, and uh, overall, it was just, it was a blast. Uh, they had a really great time. Um, I had a really great time. And I just loved this form of, of, of really sort of taking charge and like having a more active role as the DM than what mm -hmm. I'm used to. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was a really fun way to kick off a campaign. And I think for these little... This, mm -hmm. this isn't like a full campaign, right? Like you're doing this no. as a one arc or... Yeah, this is... So yeah, this is a quote unquote one shot, which has turned into a one arc. So it's going to be probably like four to eight sessions, depending on how much they're able to do. And it's only two hour sessions because they're, they're really mm -hmm. busy. So... Um, uh, how did that feel with the shorter 
shorter sessions because ours usually go for like three and a half sometimes so um it actually felt fine um i was able to with this new style i was able to get really far into i covered all the stuff i wanted to cover and i was able to do that all um like easily in in the time uh so yeah it was great and um i'm excited to use this new form for all these little mini campaigns that i run for different groups of people so um yeah three out of four gotta get the fourth one and then i'm just gonna be like (laughs) why did i do this to myself um but yeah what any any updates in your life mine's been boring (laughs) (laughs) i mean i flew to paris right i just jetted back Mm -hmm. um very nice i brought the mona lisa back with me oh she and i have been gal palling it around have you seen the mona Um, lisa yes i have me too it's very it's very unimpressive it is so, such like a letdown, yeah. honestly. <laughs> it's way smaller than I thought it was going to be. Like way yeah. smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I like didn't, I don't think it was worth it to kick that little three-year-old out of the way to get a closer look, but hey, I have no it, regrets. It had to be done. That three-year-old <laughs> wouldn't appreciate it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, not, not too much new stuff going on, but I'll tell you, I'm getting more and more excited about our new project. <gasps> um, as a reminder, we're going to start raw school, yeah. like law school, but not, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and my friend Sandy is just like over the moon. Is she? She's like super. Well, she's also like very anxious because I told her that she'll be appearing as our student <laughs> and we're going to make her do like homework and stuff. And she was like, oh God, I'm stressed out now. What's going to happen? But <laughs> it's going to be terrible. <laughs> it's going to be awful. Our goal only is to humiliate her. So obviously, Duh. no, no, she's excited. And I'm so excited about this project. Yeah. I think this, I wish this existed. It probably does somewhere out there in the universe. It but... probably does, but here's what I'll say. I bet you ours is going to be the most structured and most organized. <laughs> yes. I'm going to say that right now. And it's you know created what? created by two lawyers. I mean, yeah. come on. And you know what? Other people, if you want to argue, come for me. Let's see. I will, I will tear Bring out this weave and I on. will take off these acrylics and I will punch a bitch in the face. <laughs> Don't forget your hoops. Right. Okay? Take Don't out the hoops. the hoops. I got it, the mm-hmm. whole thing. Okay. That's like me when I used to do drag as I used to. <laughs> so, oh, bitch. I will take off this wig. Um, <laughs> but I'm not wearing a wig now, so it's fine. Um, that's that's yeah, great. So, yeah. So we're like, we're in, we're in motion. We're in the planning stages still, but I think it'll be, I think it'll be pretty soon. Yeah. Probably in the next couple of weeks here that we get get rolling on that and our first lesson about just like a really really basic introduction to what D even is mm-hmm. uh i think will will open up a lot of minds and uh hopefully get more and more people excited about this wonderful wonderful game um yeah i saw you posted something uh very sweet and interesting on your facebook earlier today i did yeah, it was yeah. about how, well, just one, hold on, before we get to that, just um, another comment for listeners. It won't be just for new players. I think no. veteran players and people who maybe haven't DM'd before and are wanting to get into it will actually enjoy this just as much because we're really going to touch on, like, we're going to take a deep dive into all of these little nitty gritty topics. And um, I think that it will be nice to, like, just hear a different perspective maybe on you know, how, how Anna and I look at look at this stuff through our, you know, our individual lenses. 
Um, and actually, um, having veterans listen to it and longtime players listen to it will help us because you can tell us what what you do differently or if you would do something differently, and we'd be happy to hear from you. Absolutely. I feel like that's going to be just an excellent part of this to see all the different perspectives. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think the one important thing is like, there's no one right way to do anything. And that's like, right. I, I enjoy critical role as much as I enjoy dimension 20, as much as I would mm-hmm. enjoy some of these other, like I, I'm starting to, to look at and research lesser known campaigns because I think they're really fun too. Cause it's, it's, you know, people more like us who just get into D and D and aren't necessarily professional actors or comedians and um, speak for yourself. I, <laughs> I'm not. I'm speaking for both of us. You're a lawyer. And uh, um, uh, yeah, so I think I think it's going to be really fun. And who knows? Maybe we'll become like super popular. Guys, we have 40. Oh, my God. 50, I don't even know. 54. Yeah, that's right. 54 Twitter followers. We need 46 more. And then we're going to give away a deck of many things. So tell your friends. Tell your grandma. Tell your nieces and nephews. Um, tell the squirrels who live outside hey get on your twitter and follow us because i want tell the birds tell the outside birds. your window that's get enough it. tweeting all right get on yeah um, okay, there you go okay so about my facebook post yeah npr of all things had this great story um that i mean it, it focused on like matt and marisha from critical role but it really mm-hmm. was talking about D generally about how um like D and D has just been... kind of exploded in quarantine. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny. Cause, cause like they were saying, yeah, more people watch it. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Cause like, I didn't watch more. Oh, wait a minute. I watched all <laughs> of campaign one of critical role <laughs> in like the span of two months, which is insane because that's it's, a lot of hours. It's like 600 to 650 hours of, of D and D. It was insane, but uh, totally worth it. Obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, we talk, we talk about all the time escapism, right? Yeah. Can't beat it. So just shows how awesome we are. uh, And you know, you posted that you don't know what you would have done without D and D during this time. I feel the absolute same way. Like, I just don't know what I would have been doing and how I would have been like, what kind of mental space I would have been in without this to look forward to. So very grateful to D and D. Absolutely. And to each other, because like we get to, yeah. you, you've played in my game and then we played together and some of our other friends hosted games. And yeah, so thank you, everyone. And uh, yeah, thank you, awesome Twitterverse for constantly. I don't have a Twitter. I, I'm i not like a Luddite. Like I don't like, I, I'm not like boo technology. I just find I social. I mean, definitely not because you edit these things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, I just, when it comes to like social media, I'm just like, eh, like I have Facebook I don't even like really like enough. Facebook. Right. Twitter seems interesting, but at the same time, overwhelming. Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm not cool enough to have an Instagram. Let's just face <laughs> it. You have to I take pictures of things and I don't. So Mine is literally just like 50 pictures of Stella. So <laughs> I would just follow thirst traps the whole time, which is like, that's not healthy. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So it's fun to see the Twitterverse. Um, and just to constantly learn about all these new endeavors. I love like finding new podcasts and, and games to watch and stuff through Twitter. I'm actually really excited because when I have some downtime, which I don't know when that will be, but I want to listen to live play podcasts. (gasps) Yeah. 
just like yeah i feel like that would be so much fun and so funny okay wait a minute i will not <laughs> when i tried to get you to watch critical role you were like i do watch it though you do watch it now yeah i do and you didn't tell me this? I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, wait. Where did you it's start? Just, I, I just watch it like really slowly at the, at the start of campaign two. It's a lot to listen to in one sitting. And I told you this when I first started watching it. It's that the second I start watching it, I'm like, oh, I wish I was playing right now. <laughs> True. All right. Moving right along. Moving right along. All right. Should we jump into our, our topics of the day with we have your friend Tom is joining yes. us. Yes. I'm so excited to have him. He's one of my oldest friends and yeah, it's going to be amazing. So excited. Awesome. All right. Well, let's do it. Hey everyone. It's Justice Anna here. I am thrilled to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Game Masters Merchant. DMs, are you feeling strapped for ideas for your campaign? Are you looking for something to help bring the excitement of sessions gone by back to your table? If so, then you're really going to want to pick up The Deck of Many Things by Game Master's Merchant. The Deck of Many Things is beautifully crafted and an extraordinarily powerful set of cards set in the D&D universe that is sure to reinvigorate your players and take your campaign to the next level. The deck is printed on sturdy cardstock and features original artwork. The deck is available on Etsy, eBay, and will soon be available on Amazon. But wait, there's more! If you use the code RAW10 on Etsy, you can get 10% off your purchase. Did you hear me just now? 10%! Just use the code RAW10 on Etsy and you get 10% off until March 1st. Get these cards, breathe life into stale campaigns, and enjoy! The Game Master's Merchant, gmmerchant.com. Oye, oye, oye. The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna and Visiting Associate Justice Tom of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and stop buying GameStop shares, for the court is now sitting. Welcome, 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 Tom! Hello! Yay. I'm so excited to have Tom here. Um, before before we ask him about like how he got involved in D&D and stuff, I just want to tell you guys, Tom is like one of my oldest friends. We went to undergrad together in California. Okay. Yep. We were on mock trial together and we were the two most interesting witnesses because we always do <laughs> really fun accents. Honestly, surprising uh, we haven't done D&D based on those characters yet. I 100% <laughs> agree it, with you. We absolutely need to do that. <laughs> yes. I was a goat farmer. Um, <laughs> yes. I was everything from a taxi cab driver to... I mean, that was my favorite one because I was like, where is Big Apple? Do not understand. No Apple in New York. <laughs> I love that so much. It was so good. Yes. And now, okay. So like we went to school together in California and then randomly I moved to Iowa and then more randomly Tom moved to Iowa. <laughs> and you both went to different law schools, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, yeah. And here we well, are. Well, it was me- it was again. meant to be. It was meant to be. Twist is fate. what we're saying. <laughs> um, well, Tom, so happy to have you. And we've all Thank played you. in at least one game in a one shot together. That's and right. Tom, you're joining us in our Harry Potter game to start at some point soon. I don't know. Timelines kind of wish you was. <laughs> so, uh, um, so just briefly, how did you get into D and D? 
and like tabletop games generally? Yeah, so I got into D&D in middle school. Uh, my classmate had all the third edition books and we he like invited us over to his house and like we made characters but we definitely did not play a game because we <laughs> were doing it ourselves there was no adult supervision it was a mess um so i got all the books because i was like this is cool and then promptly never played them uh until <laughs> law school when i met my friends now um, who also were super into D&D. And so then we started playing Pathfinder or 3.5 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the camp- oldest campaign I'm still currently in. We don't have a regular wow. schedule. But wow. since 1L, we've been running an evil campaign. And we've had people drop in and out, but I've now brought in my fiance. So he's a player and my friend is the DM for that. And we hop on with from texas and dc and like all over and um, that's awesome that is yeah. so cool and we're, we're gonna be talking a lot more about your your evil yeah. campaign a little bit later oh yeah it's fun it's shenanigans <laughs> <laughs> just out of curiosity what level are you 12 13 something like that okay yeah and we wow. started at we started at one like so this has yeah, been yeah, a yeah. whole journey of development uh, and it's Pathfinder, so it's a little different than 5e, but uh, more, way more crunchy. Um, <laughs> but it's it's fun. We still keep it ridiculous. Nice. And Tom, um, I wanted you to share your story of your one time that you DM'd, because when you described <laughs> it to me, it sounded insane. And I was like, we got to hear this. <laughs> So I really wanted to DM because I'd been a player character, a PC for so long. And I was like, I want to DM. And I was just like trolling the internet. And I found some. So on Tumblr, I follow D&D accounts that are like random stuff. So I found this post that was like, how cool would it be if like you had a game where the players didn't know anything. And they as they played the game, they like learned what their stats were, what their equipment was like from scratch. So it was like pure role-playing on the player side and like all character sheet on the DM side. And I was like, this could be a fun one shot for me to DM (laughs) as a first time DM. Oh my God. Wow. (laughs) Tried to make a whole thing from scratch for a one shot. It was, I, I swung real big. (laughs) So (laughs) it was, it actually turned out pretty fun, but like, obviously it, kept it really small because I didn't know a whole lot and I had trouble building encounters and I more tried to like build puzzles so that mm-hmm. players could have opportunities to be like, well, maybe I'll try and do an investigate or something so that I could give them opportunities to like roll. And it was really fun because they'd be like, can I perceive something? It was like, roll the check. And they'd be like, I rolled a 10. I'm like, great, you got a 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. I love it. (laughs) Right? It was just so random. So we played the whole campaign, and then we haven't come back to it because it's a lot of work. Yeah. (laughs) But it was really fun. That's really cool. Yeah. that's. I would love to, like, try that sometime. So that sounds awesome. That actually sounds Um, pretty reminiscent of my first my first game because I had no idea how to read the character sheet. So I'd be like, I rolled, I rolled a seven. What does this mean? And Joe who knew what my character sheet said was like, okay, and now you add three. So you got a 10. 
a funny story. I think we've told this. I don't know that we've told on the podcast, but first time or not even the first time, like three or four sessions into the game, Anna, um, she, you play a paladin, mm-hmm. a third level paladin. And and you, and we're in combat and you're like, all right, I cast Aura of Vitality. And I'm like, OK, awesome. What is, OK, what does that spell do? Like, I wasn't really familiar. She was casting like a fifth level spell, which paladins don't get until ninth level at level three. And she's like, oh, I thought level three, no. third level spell. And I'm like, oh, dear, yeah, that's confusing. Well. OK, that's confusing. <laughs> It's that Classic. third level, and I was like, "I'm I'm level three. <laughs> Classic noob move, Anna. Come on. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and um, it was a really powerful spell because it was like everyone gets like ten hit points back. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's what? ridiculous. Oh yeah, I just played a cleric oh, in the campaign where I keep dying, and uh, I just. <laughs> Aura Vitality constantly because <laughs> everyone was dying, and I was like, "No, I'm Aura Vitality. You all back to life." constantly oh dear well and tom also you're an attorney and just sort of generally like what what kind of law have you done do you do yeah uh at this point i feel like i'm just about have done starting to do just about everything i was a public defender in colorado before moving here and i've been working in civil rights law uh since i moved here but i'm about to start doing family law child support stuff in about a week or so so i'm all over the place. Public defense is my true passion, but uh, there's no money in that. So we'll see if I ever get back into it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Well, we are delighted to have you here. Thank you. Um, All right. Well, we're going to jump in and these are your questions. So we get to, uh, we get to pick apart your questions, but Justice Anna, um, would you like to proceed? Sure. I'll introduce. Uh, The court will hear two cases today. The first is somatic elements versus players. The question before the court is as follows. When casting a spell with a somatic component, is it really necessary to use hands? For example, if a caster's hands are broken, can they use their feet, legs, arms for the somatic components? So Tom, this was a question that you presented. I have a lot of thoughts. Most of them are ragey, but I'll let somebody else get started. Well, so there is a little bit of backstory if you want it on this question. So this is from my friend from the evil campaign who is now a DM running his own campaign with his college friends. And so in that campaign, he was telling us how um, he's been having a problem with his players breaking everyone's hands they encounter because at the start they encountered some pretty (laughs) difficult wizards. And so to prevent that, (laughs) they break everyone's hands to prevent any kind of magic. What? Oh my Wait, God. how do they? <laughs> That's so smart. Oh, I have so many questions. Like, okay, how does a wizard like let them get close enough to even, I mean, like th- that wizard needs some higher level spells. I mean, you got to get w- f- like wall of force up. You got to protect yourself, buddy. I have a feeling that he was like, oh, they're going to be fine. But I guess they read the player's handbook really intensely or something and are just like, nope, met a new person, break their hands. So, <laughs> Please tell me their like group name is like, is like the hand crushers or something like that. Cause that would just be I, I have no idea. I haven't asked because whenever he tells us it's this friend, he is known in our campaign for his shenanigans and doing just the craziest 
things at all times. So this is what he shares from his campaigns without us is the just wild stuff. And so, that's, so he's getting he's getting his comeuppance then. Oh, he's yeah. getting a taste of his own medicine. Mm-hmm. Love it. One hundred percent. But that's why. I was like, at first I was like, well, somatic, like I know it's a gesticulation of some kind, but surely you could do that with like, a good wizard would know how to do that with like their feet. (laughs) And then I read the player's handbook and I was um, mistaken. So I I wanted to petition this court to, uh, you know, (laughs) overturn that precedent (laughs) that it has to be hands or a at least one free hand. And I have thoughts about that too, but I wanted to give you that backstory because it's pretty good. Yeah. So um, what? What? Are, yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Like, what would you rule? I mean, I would rule. I think it. A favorite of yours, Joe. It comes down, I think, to a little bit of DM discretion, because clearly a listener. <laughs> I, love I mean, it. I love D and D. If you haven't figured that out by now, um, but I think a really good wizard. Maybe not their entire spell repertoire requiring somatic components, but at least something. Since the description of what a co- somatic component is, is just like a gesture or a gesticulation. So, you know, why does it always have to be a hand? Like, not every spell in the D&D spell book has to be like a Naruto ninjutsu with a million <laughs> finger twists. Like, surely right. there's something more in the Harry Potter realm. That's just a swish and flick. And so why does it have to be a hand instead of a foot? It seems very arbitrary. And so I think it should be as long as you can do something. Because normally when I'm playing too, I remember that somatic component rule if I'm like paralyzed or stunned or like can't move at all. But I'm not really thinking about that as a player. And I haven't had really many DMs thinking about that in creating their games with just more minor things that maybe my arm isn't working or something like that. So, I mean, I think a very skilled wizard should at least have the ability to do something with their elbow or like some other body part, as long as they can wiggle some very well-known spells, they should be able yeah. to like- Just helicopter that dick around <laughs> and cast <laughs> My mom is listening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anna's mom. She knows what a penis is. Oh, God. Sometimes. La, 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 la. Sometimes. (laughs) Why? Why, Joe? Well, it's. No, well, I bring that up because, I mean, if you watch Campaign on a Critical Role, Scanlan, I mean, the the whole thing was that he cast spells by, like, sort of uh, thrusting at them with his junk. Um, at least he did in the opening credits. Um, so I think that's sufficient, but yeah. Yeah. At some, sometimes you really got to cast shield and you got nothing left. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Shield with that scrotum. Okay. <laughs> A- Justice Anna, what, what is your okay. take on this? I want to so, hear your, okay. Bonus action rage. Okay. Let's hear it. Yeah. Bonus action rage is right. Okay. So like, first of all, yes. According to the player's handbook, it says you have to have at least one hand free to perform these gestures okay but i feel like the statute runs afoul of the ada and is <laughs> absolute you. bullshit okay yep. yes. like yep, I, it is one thing in in the circumstance that you're describing if they go out and like break the guy's hand and he temporarily can't use it 
I understand why that would be the rule and how that would be hilarious and would actually apply because the only thing he's ever known is how to cast with the hand, right? Right. But if you are a player that had your hand chopped off or some deformity where you don't have a hand and you have magic, you will have learned how to perform those spells with some other appendage, okay? Mm -hmm. So... I think it depends on the circumstance. Like if you're grappled or you're paralyzed, I agree. I don't feel like you should be able to just imagine in your mind what the gestures are and get away with with doing these spells. But if you have like a disability, like, and it's not just missing limbs. It's like, if you're, if you're a blind character, does that mean that any spell that says creatures you can see within range, you can't cast any of those spells? That sounds like bullshit to me. You sh- it should just be switched to like creatures that you can hear within range or creatures that you can sense within range or something like right. that. Or that you know that their presence is there. Like, it just seems insane to me that y- you have a world where you can create whatever kind of character you want. In fact, Joe and I play in a campaign with a... Is he a wizard? Is he? A- He's a cleric. He's a cleric. That yeah. has an arm missing, right? And like... Mm-hmm. I feel like he should be able to do whatever somatic spells he wants to. Um, And here's, here's the interesting part, right? Like right underneath the paragraph where it talks about somatic spells, it talks about things that use materials. And um, it says that, you know, if you're, if, if it's a spell that uses both material and somatic, whatever hand is holding the material counts as your like somatic hand. That, that came from yes. like Jeremy Crawford and yep. and, and the it's, book says yeah. that too. Right. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So like if your shield is your, what's the thing called? The like. Your, your uh, symbol, holy symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your spellcasting focus. Your, your, your focus. Yeah, exactly. Your spellcasting focus. And you're holding it in your hand. Then that can count as both the material and the somatic hand. You can, right. You can perform the somatic right. components while holding a material. Right. Exactly. So I'm like, they clearly have accepted that it is possible to perform somatic spells or spells that have a somatic component with something in your hand. Uh, and I don't think that it should be separate just, just because you're missing a hand. Um, yeah, I, that's, that was my rage. I'm going to calm down <laughs> and take full damage now. So. <laughs> um, I said literally the exact same thing. I literally wrote, this is some ableist ass shit <laughs> on my notes. Um, I mean, here's the deal. Um, now, if we get listeners who are like, well, Raw says this, and you're a podcast about Raw. Um, and you're lawyers. Yeah. You want to hear about people interpreting things from rules? Go listen to some fucking substantive due process jurisprudence mm-hmm. because you may not you might you might you know disagree from a strictly legal perspective but damn do you like those rights that come along with <laughs> substantive due process so um uh yeah i mean rule as written it says hand i think that anyone especially jeremy crawford um who he himself is a is a gay man and like would be and 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 D is is going into obviously you know uh doing as much as they can to expand the rules make them more inclusive uh i think any good dm would absolutely yes. prefer that their character be interesting with an interesting backstory so if your monk is blind and you want them to be a blind monk who has like crazy acoustics, then yeah, they wouldn't get disadvantage on attacking just because they couldn't see. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, 
yeah, uh, the, the only condition I would add to that, and uh, you sort of touched on this, but to just like put a point on it is if 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 you nor if you only ever cast hand, spells with your hands or your right. feet or your some body part, um, it would and that the players are able to, you know, make that useless in combat. You should really the DM should really honor their creativity um, and and recognize that well yeah they can't start casting spells with their feet because if they could then that means they presumably always could Mm -hmm. and then the rules about things you can hold and the limitations because of that go out the window and suddenly like feats like warcaster don't mean as much because they don't you know the somatic component becomes less um important so i would just say absolutely i agree um i concur um just Make sure that, you know, if you have a player that wants to do this, that you explain like, yeah, you have two, whether they're feet, hands, limbs, something, (laughs) you have two of them. And uh, that is the most that you can have for holding materials, holding weapons, holding shields, doing somatic components. Yeah. Concur. Yeah. So we got some, we're all right. We're official. We're activist judges. Here we go. (laughs) Doing it. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Me too. Creating the D&D um, penumbras. <laughs> All the penumbras. Love it. If you want to know what that joke is, go to law school. Okay. Don't. Don't do it. Don't, do it. don't go to law school. Save yourself. Oh, yeah. Only if We're you want to be a lawyer. <laughs> no, even then. Because no, no. you think you you think you do, but what you really want to do you is don't. you want to play D&D. Exactly. Yes. So true. <laughs> Okay, well, I think that we've reached our decision on that one, and uh, close the case. I don't know. Oh, who's the one struggling? To, to... <laughs> you guys need a gavel that you can like hit. Uh, Joe really said do. he was gonna give me one. Yeah. That little. Come on, Joe. <laughs> Just kidding. We love you. Okay. Okay. So we'll move on to our second case for today, which is class AC versus mage armor. And the question before the court is as follows. Should monks or any class be forced to choose between the benefits of mage armor or another class-based AC bonus? Uh, And I think this is another Tom question. So if you want to get us started, Tom. Yeah. So uh, the way this came up was because I was talking to one of my friends who said he doesn't like 5e as much in this aspect because in older versions, mage armor was just a straight bonus. Uh, but with 5e, um, and he sent me the site and now I can't find it, so I apologize. But in the player's handbook, it talks about how there's multiple ways that players may be, you know, approached with calculating their armor, their base armor class. And so in those instances, the player has to choose. And specifics with Monk, their unarmored defense talks about, well, your base armor class is a standard 10 plus dexterity, but also wisdom because while you're unarmored, because monks aren't going to get armor to get all of their class benefits. Um, And then mage armor says that the uh, base becomes 13 plus their dex, right? Yeah. That's right. So, um, you know, that really creates a choice. So I disagree with this, and I wanted to petition for, again, another change of precedent here, because particularly with monks' wisdom, you know, it's an acknowledgement that a monk has 
it's more than just they're fast as to why they're so good without any kind of armor or why they're able to dodge so many attacks. Um, and like the addition of a magical force field that they shouldn't like there's no indication in mage armor that they should like are feeling the force field it just moves with them based on the spell that's not impeding them in any way so why should this monk be able to choose between like well i'm fast and smart but my wizard here is trying to help me out as well like shouldn't they get that benefit of the extra three points the extra force like they would with any kind of shield spell right like a shield spell doesn't make them slower in any way far as my research concluded uh so you know it doesn't make any sense to me that then all of a sudden this one mage armor spell should make them choose between their wisdom bonus or not like any other any other class character it seems like it hinders them so i think i think that they should be allowed and also the base like the base ac calculation is already included their their class benefit seems like something on top of the base AC bonus. So I would read that as though they should still be able to get the bump from 10 to 13 on top of everything else, like any other character. Okay. Those are my thoughts. Justice Anna? Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> I Sorry about it, bro. But <laughs> you, I, you got to pick. You either get your little special wisdom monk bonus or you ask your wizard friend not to cast that shit on you because... <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's my ruling. I don't have very much else to say about sure. that. I think that the the spell as written is very clear. It says 13 plus dex. Too bad, so sad. Sucks to be a monk, I guess. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I have nothing more to add to that other than whether this is going to be in the descent or the majority. My answer <laughs> is no, <laughs> you don't get both. <laughs> um. Yeah, perhaps unsurprisingly, I agree with Anna. <laughs> um, I, I think know that's my a role stretch. here. <laughs> I have hey, my... look, we appreciate it. We want the different views, right? And now we know in your campaign, I'm going to play a monk or a barbarian that has one level of wizard and can cast major. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like as the spell as written contemplates that there are two different ways for calculating AC. Um, and there's a sage advice uh, from Jeremy Crawford on this from January 2016, where he specifically addresses this and confirms, yeah, it's a, it's a different calculation. Um, I understand, I guess, you know, intrinsically that, that argument. Um, but I think practically speaking, it's mage armor because it's armor for mages who otherwise don't get armor. Um, whereas in, you know, like any, any class, your base AC is, is 10 plus your decks. Um, a wit, a wizard is not going to have a high decks most likely, or a high wisdom. They're going to have a high intelligence, um, and likely a high constitution. And that's sort of where the trade-off comes from. Um, but it's interesting because there are some wizard classes that um, have insane AC calculations. We Anna, we played with one. Um, Andrew, who used to be in our campaign, mm -hmm. was a, a blade song uh, wizard, uh, which is like a uh, an elven specific subclass that was um, introduced, I think, in the Sword Coast Adventures guide. I'm not positive, but his AC, in addition to 
his other things that he added also added his intelligence modifier. So there were at times where he would cast shield and would have like a 24 AC. I'm like, well, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> at like, <laughs> like how a very like, early level. Too. Yeah. Like, we were level three. Cause you, as long as you're in your, your blade song, you add your intelligence modifier, which was plus three or four at the time. Um, but all that being said, I mean, I think, Monks, if they max out their decks and wisdom, which they can do relatively, you know, by like eighth or tenth level, um, it's not early on, I guess. But um, I mean, they have a pretty high AC and, you know, I, I don't know. I think that they're they're pretty hardy. But yeah, as as written, I just I don't think the spell get you there sorry justice tom it's okay like i said i'm from an older generation where you could get like plus 35s and things and i am all about that max min life that 5e really does not want you to do (laughs) but i I have my descent collar on i am writing my descent (laughs) in the style of justice sotomayor that monks should be overpowered with a mage armor spell and I'm okay Classic with that. associate justice, <laughs> am I right? Well, well, I, as Elena Kagan, will write the majority. Of the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sonia. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. All right. Wow. Awesome. Those are our cases. Nicely done, Court. Absolutely. Now we're going to turn to our discussion, which is when we just have a little, little justice gab fest. Yeah. Uh, just and <laughs> justice Gabfest. We have a cool youth hang. You know, we just hang with the kids. We talk about the tweeters. <laughs> um, and this was a question that I actually came up with. This is the topic of discussion that I came up with uh, because I I am genuinely like so curious about this. And last episode we talked about alignments a lot, uh, mm-hmm. and how, how how characters can can just choose an evil alignment, right? Um, And we talked about it in the context of like how laws will work in the universe and what kind of universe a DM is creating. But I wondered, should characters in your campaign um, be allowed to just be like straight up evil if not everyone in the campaign is evil? And do you think that players should have the freedom to play however they want um, and that characters that are pure evil can like create excitement and create drama or should it have to be like discussed and agreed upon ahead of time by the whole party so that they know what they're getting into um, and then do you think it depends more on you know what the what the arc is and what the purpose of your campaign and adventure is so thoughts I mean if I could jump in it's being an evil yeah, campaign please. I can kind of see both sides of the coin because with the evil campaign I'm in, that's so intrinsic. And that I think really has opened up a lot of role-playing choices that we might not naturally do if we had entered this campaign as like any other campaign. So I think there really is something important to say about having a discussion about the purpose of a campaign in terms of good versus evil or just standard versus evil um or good right like that there's that but i really appreciated your discussion on that um when i was listening because you really you guys really talked about how it's not so rigid like what these categories are and it can be very like good and evil chaotic or lawful can also get really granular to just the character like what their personal compass is 
And I think that's really true um, to the point that, like, I if just one person wants to be evil, I don't think that necessarily requires them to be like, hey, everyone, I'm going to be evil, just <laughs> FYI. Because, like, what does that mean? Um, and I've seen, you know, alignment has been something that's really interesting to me. I like looking at all the memes that are, like, all the different alignments as a Batman or, like, you know, stuff like that. But then I, one thing I saw online was that instead of being so rigid about, like, what these are, think of them as spectrums and that, like, lawful and chaotic is, are you, you know, following rules? Like, lawful just means rules. What those rules are, whatever. And chaos is anarchy, so where do you fall on that spectrum? And then the good and evil is like selfish on the evil end versus selfless on the good end. Mm. So it doesn't have to be, because, you know, depending on what side of the battle you're on, each side considers themselves good and the other evil. Um, so that's like not really helpful. But this selfless, selfish, I think helps in that if you're picking this evil character, then you're thinking, well, Obviously, that could make it difficult for a Look party. For number one. But if it's more just, I'm doing things for myself, I think that makes like a right. lawful evil character make a whole lot of sense. They have rules about what they can do, but they're all geared towards themselves, as opposed to like a lawful good character, which has a bunch of really rigid rules that are geared towards helping society at large or like other people. Um, so I don't think it, like if it, it could definitely reach a point where you need to have a discussion. Like everyone can't be evil without a discussion, but if it's just one <laughs> character who's like, this is going to be fun and they know what they're doing, they're not going to just destroy everything. Like yeah. uh, go for it. Like really yeah. run wild. I think you like really hit on the key point here. And Anna, I'm curious to hear more about, about, about why you had these questions and what your thinking is on this, because I think if you need a mature player and I don't think I would allow a player that I didn't trust to play anything on the evil spectrum um, and potentially even like uh, chaotic neutral, because sometimes that can be just as like, you know, cause just as much chaos. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't. It's a tough question because, because right, what does evil mean? Um, I think you can be evil without being selfish, right? You could be um, part of like an evil army that's giving your life for this evil cause, but the cause is something that's like, we're going to kill a whole bunch of people or something. I don't know. But I, I do like that that thought process in terms of character creation for players. What does evil mean? Um, I, I think as a DM, I think it would be really difficult to have an evil player but if the player could explain to me how that would manifest in game then absolutely i'd allow it like if that if that character came from maybe that character is you know a, a tiefling or like a fire genasi who comes from you know the fire plane um or the one of the planes one of the hells and like their way of life is what something they would interact in a way we would we would consider to be evil um then sure, let's try it out. But I guess I would want to make sure that that character wasn't just being, wasn't just doing terrible things for the fun of it and was staying true to their character, which then goes back into this whole, you really need a mature role player because what will most likely happen is that character will change over time. 
Um, and if they didn't, then why are they still with this party? Right. I, I think ultimately, fundamentally, you are going to, I mean, I have a, a campaign. It's the campaign that um, Anna Clint, our, our other DM plays in where he plays this. He's not evil, but he's this very sort of like, uh, he describes him as like ultra libertarian, like super money oriented, like what's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. And even that he's not evil, but even that has created a bit of a rift in the party because they're like, well, why are you fucking with us? We're, you know, we're going out and we're, we're trying to, to like achieve some common goals. Why are you following along? Um, so I just wouldn't want to see a party fall into that. I definitely think that, it would have to be apparent enough to the players. And I would definitely inform the players that I wouldn't necessarily out this character as being evil up front, but I would say, Hey, just so you guys know, you, you know, you may like you, in character creation, you could really span anything in terms of alignment and give them a heads up. So they're aware, but um, yeah, I, I think it just requires a really mature player who knows that, role-playing is going to make a really big deal and that the party could very well turn on you if you refuse to change or abandon you. Um, and then you're going to have to roll a new character. I'm not going to let you constantly interrupt what these four or five other players are doing just because you want to be evil. Right. Yeah. I was, I agree with that. And I thought about this when I was researching uh, to mention that really, I think the hurdle with an evil character is to have a talk with the DM to mm -hmm. figure out how is this character going to, it's like every, the stereotype of starting a, a campaign is you all meet in a tavern and you don't know each other before. So how is this evil character going to want to join this group? Because if we don't have a reason right. for you to like join and get along with this group, then being evil doesn't make sense. You like can't be part of the campaign. Um, right. And I, so having that conversation, I think, is really critical because that's like that's the whole that's the whole shebang right there. Yeah. So, Anna, I'm curious. Tell, tell me more about like like what uh, what what made you think of this and like what were some of the ideas that you were thinking? Yeah. Um, so one, I was thinking like most of the characters I have played so far have been have been good. Right. Like they've just they they're they're not selfish. They look out for the party. They wanted they want to put good into the world. They have just a no... note. Last night, Anna's bard was like <laughs> totally willing to throw these halflings into get eaten by sandworms what? just to, to save our to asses. save like a poor old couple. Okay. This is what I'm talking about. It's all about the balance. It's all about the balance of the universe. Um, but generally speaking, my characters have been pretty good. Uh, we're 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 about to start playing in a Harry Potter campaign, which I'm very very excited about. Mm -hmm. And my character, I want her to be a little bit of a bad girl. Yes. <laughs> I want her to be just a teensy weensy bit, not evil, but definitely like Tom's describing, like really selfish. <laughs> we I already know she's like super self centered. But I want her to be selfish as well. And and I wonder, you know, exactly the concerns that you guys have. Like, I need some part of her to be to be likable or like for her to have some justification to be with a group that may not have the same interests as her. Right. Like may not have like if the rest of the group's goals is to save Hogwarts and and her goal is to just save herself. Like, will that mesh? 
So or destroy Hogwarts. Right? I mean, like, yeah. that's the yeah, yeah, concern yeah. Like, that I have. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, to save, save herself is okay. I mean, like, that gets more into the chaotic neutral territory, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah. Um, it's but the, it, yeah, it's like, the destroy Hogwarts exactly. aspect. And you're like, we are on totally different opposite <laughs> sides of the coin here. <laughs> yeah. I think that a pure evil character that one would be like, I'm I'm actually anti whatever your goal is, makes more sense in a one shot because at that point it's like yeah. for four hours we can put up with this person we hate and then see how this falls right like see where the chips may fall and yeah. if they are successful and they actually like destroy our goal that's awesome like that's <laughs> a great conclusion to a random one shot if the opposite happens great a random conclusion to a one shot but a long term evil character I just don't think is feasible for exactly the reasons that you guys have mentioned like what would be what would be the purpose for this person to stay with the group unless it is but the, like the way that I would play an evil character would be to pretend I was good like that's that yeah. would be my justification right like I want to steal their money or I want protection so I'm just gonna hang out with this group but I don't really care about what their goals are I have no intention of following through with what I've promised um, but I'm gonna pretend to be good so I I'd pick a character that's like really high charisma and and just like fool them for as long as I could uh, mm. until they figure out what's actually going on but yeah to be like out and out evil I, I think that you just can't do that until unless you have the rest of the players kind of on board to work with you a little bit. Well, and also I think that goes to really the backstory, right? A successful evil character is going to have a good backstory. So for, like you mentioned, our Harry Potter campaign, save Hogwarts, destroy Hogwarts. Maybe your evil character is evil because they just want to save themselves and like screw everyone else. But what if their backstory is like, you know, they don't have a safe home to go to. So even though all they care about themselves, the only way to save themselves is to save Hogwarts. And so then at the end of the day, the goals are aligning, but for like completely different purposes. So, and that's what I was going to say. I think that is the only way to have a true evil character who meshes with a non-evil party is if the the goals if their reason for achieving the same goal is different so and and anna this makes me think of our campaign um you, you guys are tasked with assassinating an emperor um you you are coming at it from the perspective of uh, you know, this emperor's a bad guy and, and you know, we want to free everyone and, and, and have magic users um, integrate with non-magic users and, 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 you know, enhance society. Well, what if you teamed up with a member of the Valkyrie order who is like right. this, this, this total like magic rules, everything. And um, magic um, you know, is might. Exactly. And maybe they would join you to kill the emperor, but for, a completely different reason mm-hmm. so that they could essentially enslave non-magic users or something like that. And then, I mean, that would be quote unquote evil. But again, Tom, this goes back to your discussion. Well, don't they think they're the good guys in that situation? Right. Um, so and they do, right? Like that's right. Yeah. So, so I, Hey, this is all philosophical. What does it mean kids to be evil? <laughs> what does evil mean? And of course, if you if you look up the definitions of like the different types of evil, like chaotic evil is literally just like going around burning shit for no reason. Tasmanian You're literally devil just like ah, destroy, kill, that. <laughs> which is why a lot of monsters are chaotic evil because they don't give a fuck; they just want to kill. Right. 
Let's Fascinating. Yeah. I love well, it. Well, Trixie's definitely going to be a bit of a bad girl guy. I love it. I hey. I think Trixie and Corey are going to turn out to be really good friends. Like DFS. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I cannot wait. This is going to be so interesting. Um, we'll see how it goes. I fully expect to be told, had to have my ass kicked in terms of my knowledge of Harry Potter lore. So <laughs> bring it on. I admit defeat already. Um but yeah, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, though, I, I would love to have the opportunity to have a player and who knows, Anna, maybe this will be you one day in a in a campaign um, or if you roll a new character for some reason um, to, to have a, a really mature player who can play an evil, a truly evil character and know what that means to them and have that character mesh with a non evil group group. That would be fascinating. So mm-hmm. I welcome it. Yeah. Well, thank you for this discussion, you guys. It was really Absolutely. Good, so. Thank you for having well, me. Well, Justice, yeah, Justice Tom, we, ugh, you have to come back sometime. Send us more questions that we can disagree with you on. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm good at. <laughs> good. Um, yeah. Thank you. Well, for everyone, um, guys, we need more Twitter followers and I'm not yeah. just begging you. I'm, I want, I have this deck of many things sitting in my house that I will open, even though I already have two of them of my own, <laughs> I will open the third one just because I like looking at them. So come on, follow us on Twitter so that we can, I, I think, I think Anna, we decided I'm going to roll a D100 and That's from right. there we will determine who wins, which let's face it, it's looking like there's a lot of other <laughs> podcasts and, and groups of people who might win because yes. that's a lot of our following. Um, all right. Well, Tom, it's been lovely. Yes, thank you for having me. This has been great. All right, everyone. Um, enjoy your tabletop gaming. Court is adjourned. Gavel, gavel. Yay! Yay! <laughs>